0: Hello, everyone. My name is Sherry Rice, and I'm CEO of Access to Healthcare Network. Welcome to our podcast, Access to Health. Our goal is to bring you informative speakers from the healthcare industry to give you information that can help you make your healthcare decisions. Today, we are talking about the Medicare for All debate. And my guest today is C.J. Bowden, Director of Government Affairs for Hometown Health Plan and Senior Care Plus. Welcome, CJ.
1: Thank you for having me today, Sherry. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, this is uh, going to be a little. This is going to be fun today. Uh, I had on Dr. John Packham, who thinks that Medicare for All should be everywhere that we that we should adopt that. Uh, that it is the best thing for the United States to move forward with. But I know that you bring a little different perspective on that. Uh, And because you do work for an insurance company, which we need to disclose, that certainly brings into it someone who works for an insurance company where Medicare for all could possibly uh, eliminate the insurance company issue. But let's talk for a minute about this debate. Why do we have this debate at the forefront? Certainly because we have um, a presidential election coming up. But it seems like it's going to be a future issue and that this future issue isn't going to go away. What do you think?
1: You're, you're absolutely right, Sherry. I don't think it's going to go away. It's brought forward by the candidates. Of course, it's a hot topic button. Everybody wants something, right? It's a great thing to talk about, but everything comes at a cost. We can get into that a little bit later. And you, the for the people listening, they might think it a little strange that a person very involved in Medicare with Senior Care Plus Medicare Advantage programs would actually be against a carpet Medicare for All program or give reasons why it's probably not the path we want to go down. And thank you for disclosing that I do work for an insurance company because that is true. And the Medicare for All system would essentially do away with a private payer system and go to a single payer, which would be a government-run system. And then we have to look at the implications that come with that as well.
0: Well, let's talk about Medicare for a minute. I know open enrollment's coming up on October 15th. It goes from October 15th, I believe, to December 6th or 7th.
1: That's correct, December 7th.
0: That's a um, that's a compressed time for people to understand their Medicare benefits and that they might want to change to a different company for their Medicare benefits. So, if we were doing that for everyone in the United States, being involved at Access to Healthcare and Open Enrollment, it just seems daunting.
1: You're really natural at segueing this information. When we look at it the way it currently is, we're in an, a situation where people have choice. They can go out and look for different types of Medicare coverage, plans that are Medicare supplements that cover the costs that Medicare doesn't, Medicare Advantage plans that cover things like dental, vision, hearing benefits, fitness benefits that Medicare doesn't. If we truly transition into a Medicare for all, one single original Medicare system, all those options go away. So that point becomes moot when we look at open enrollment. You wouldn't have a choice. You're going to have the one plan that's put forward by the federal government with the one payment system that's put forward, and we wouldn't have to worry about that. Today, there's multiple choices throughout the marketplace, and individuals can go out and get the best thing for them.
0: Well, let's talk about then expanding uh, Medicare Advantage, expanding Medicare Advantage to a younger age, say 55, or, or offering Medicare Advantage to anyone. That, what would that look like?
1: Now you're getting into something where the disclosure comes through i think that would be perfect because that would open up the markets to us that would mo- open up the markets to medicare advantage companies which are private companies that give medicare benefits the way medicare advantage works instead of the federal government paying for your health care 100% or 80% you pay 20% they pay 80% for your hospitalization and medical bills the government gives contracts to private entities like hometown health and senior care plus We have to abide by all their rules. We have to cover everything that Medicare covers. And they give us a capitated rate or a rate per month per person. If you cost less than that, you only go to the doctor once a year. You're very healthy. You work out. Then Hometown Health gets to keep the profits from that. We only paid for a doctor visit for you or a couple of little things for you throughout the year. Those monies come back to us. If you're sick you have a catastrophic illness, you end up in the hospital, then your care costs will exceed what we receive from the government on a monthly basis, and we're on the hook for that. The federal government's not, the Medicare trust fund's not, the private company, Hometown Health, would be on the hook for that.
0: Well, let's delve into that a little bit. The, uh, the ACA, of course, operates off a little bit of the same model in the sense that they want the young and healthy on the ACA to make it for some people that are sick. On Medicare Advantage, you don't do pre-existing. You don't just go out and offer it to healthy people. So you really have a cross-section of the population because Medicare Advantage, if I understand correctly, uh, does not just go for the healthy seniors.
1: We're not allowed to just go for the healthy seniors. We must take anyone that applies. The only exception to that is if you have end-stage renal disease before you're 65 before you get on Medicare, then you're going to go on original Medicare. You can't join a Medicare Advantage plan. But that too is going to change in 2020, and we have to accept those with end-stage renal disease as well. That's the only outlier.
0: So let's take Medicare Advantage the uh, and talk about that for a minute. The insurance companies, you know, the average person believes that the insurance companies are just sucking all the money out of us. Um, And one of the things that they complain about, uh, the public so much, is the insurance companies saying, no, you can't have that test. No, you can't have that medicine. No, you know, how does that work on Medicare Advantage?
1: So Medicare Advantage is managed care. There's many different types of plans out there. You could have a PPO, you could have an HMO, but the most popular Medicare Advantage plan is managed care HMO. And what that is, is a group of doctors chief medical officers, medical directors, a whole slew of authorization nurses that go through and look at the procedures, medications, and that's done through your Part D PBM side. Um, they look at all these things that come up when your doctor asks for a, either a medication for you. They look to make sure that Medicare covers it. It's been FDA approved for that purpose if it's denied, maybe it wasn't approved for that purpose, or there could be a lower cost medicine that they would like you to try first before you step up to the higher cost medicine. There's nothing, Medicare covers a drug in every class. So when we talk about medications, they just have things put in place called step therapy. They want to try the lowest cost first, then move up to a higher cost and then move up to the specialty drug if needed. So if they can cure it with a lower costing drug, it saves the plan dollars and it saves the members dollars, which plans like Senior Care Plus, which is a not-for-profit, put back into the plan in the form of expanded benefits and lower cost to members. So it's a managed care. Same thing on procedures. Can we do it locally for closer? I know everybody, if you get cancer or if you get a specialized condition, you want to go to the Mayo Clinic, right? It's the best care. They've touted themselves. They're the best. But if we can do it right here in our local community in Reno, and we can do that procedure. Why would we put all the extra and pay that extra inflated cost when we can give you the same health outcome that you would receive somewhere else? So we manage that and make sure that if it can be done here, we do it. If it cannot be done, Medicare Advantage plans all over the U.S. send you to their centers of excellence. There are certain places if you need a transplant, we know you're not going to get it in Nevada. We're going to set up the closest location for you that is a center of excellence that you can get that transplant done.
0: Understandable. And yet one... One of the complaints that I hear from seniors is that if my doctor orders an MRI, I should be able to get it done. Are they questioning my doctor? Have you heard that before?
1: I have. I've heard that many times. Um, There's, and maybe not just an MRI, but an implant for pain, something like that. What we have to look at is we have to look at the coverage guidelines. These all come from original Medicare and CMS. CMS puts out coverage guidelines for all the devices, what they're approved for, and the specialty the specialty conditions that you must have when you get that procedure. So if you match up with all those procedures, then we can authorize that and make sure that goes through. If you don't, if it's not a covered guideline, then that's where we run into a problem and it would be
0: denied. So it's not your guidelines you're going by?
1: Absolutely not. We're going by CMS and they have coverage determinations all over the United States, and they're actually localized. We have to use them that are locally to our region. They have different coverage guidelines for each region of the United States.
0: So if someone's going to be upset, it would be with CMS.
1: Well, they should be, yes. But we know that's not the case. It all falls back on the plan or the provider.
0: Well, let's go back to the Medicare for All discussion a little bit. Would it save us money? That is one of the things that the candidates and quite a few people, and certainly Dr. Packham, when he was on the podcast, said that it would cut the costs of health care. Tell me why somebody would believe that it would cut the costs. And if you believe that it wouldn't, explain to us why it wouldn't.
1: Well, Medicare is the golden ticket. We know that everybody's waiting till they get to 65, especially if you're paying for your own private health insurance. At 64 years of age today, a person's paying $800 a month for a plan. And that plan has a $7,900 deductible. So you're out a lot of money. When you come on to Medicare, you're paying $134 for your Part B. You've worked for your Part A entitlement through your payroll taxes, or you've been married to somebody that worked for their entitlement. So now you go to a premium from 800 to 135, and you're only paying 20% of the Medicare allowable cost. The federal government contracts with hospitals for Medicare allowable. If a procedure costs $5,000, Medicare may only pay $500 for it. And that facility has to take that $500. That's all. So your 20% of 500 is only a hundred dollars. Everything becomes much cheaper to you. You're not meeting these high deductibles. That's the big hook. That's the draw. Everybody wants to pay less for their health care. The problem with that is if you look at the other side is the facilities get less commercial insurance reimburses much more if the facilities are all mandated to take this medicare allowable then there's no room for growth for innovation for bringing new equipment in and to pay those doctors we know that we're in a shortage of providers right now we have a specialist shortage in our area we also have a primary care specialist or a primary care shortage How are we going to recruit people? How are we going to pay them to want to come here if everybody makes the same amount of money?
0: Well, you make a great argument, then how have the European countries been able to make it work? Oh. Or have they?
1: Fantastic question. Let's not go as far as Europe. Let's just go right north of us to Canada. When you look at that system, they fund it. And they pay for all of this through increased taxes. When you look at the taxes that an average individual pays, they're in the 43 to 47% in Canada. Out of every dollar they make, 43 to 47 cents, goes directly to the government to help fund these p- programs and pay for the care for individuals that either can't pay for it or are entitled to that benefit.
0: Well, do we need to do something in our country, though? We have quite a few uninsured people, and we know the Access to Healthcare Network uh, picks up that gap. And uh, we're in Nevada, but we're not in every state. So we have a lot of uninsured people, or if we talked about the ACA, so would Medicare Advantage be better than the ACA products?
1: When we look at it cost-wise, it might be better, but what we really have to concentrate on is how are we going to replenish that trust fund for Medicare? We have a Medicare trust fund that your employer pays into and you pay into every time you get a paycheck. You guys split it evenly between you and you pay into that. We know that trust fund is being depleted with higher care costs and the fact that more working age people are retiring. So that's leaving an older population that's on Medicare and less younger individuals to pay into that pool to sustain that pool. So something has to be done to make that pool larger so that it can cover all those retirees that have already worked for their benefit because we don't want to see Medicare go away. We don't want to see it implode like it has in other countries um, or their care model. So what do we do? We have to come up with a balanced solution that takes care of individuals and make sure that the money comes in from somewhere. Where does that money come in from? We've got to decide on what kind of tax is put in place on Individuals, goods, or processes that happen now, especially in our gig economy that we have all throughout the world. How can we bring monies in to pay for that if we want to continue that type of system? Well,
0: Well, is that solution that we have the Affordable Care Act and you can go on an exchange and get a product if you're under 65? Or is the solution that we take the Medicare Advantage products and that we expand it and anybody, anybody could apply for a Medicare Advantage product? What do you think about that?
1: I think that that could be a solution as well because Medicare Advantage products are private companies willing to put their dollars up they're going to supply the money into this trust fund because they only get a capitated rate every month if those people that buy those plans from an insurance company a medicare managed company are sicker than they are healthy that's the private company's money at risk they have to pay for the extra cost so the federal government's transferring the risk from the medicare pool onto these private companies that's one very good way to do it But with that, you're going to see if we move in that direction, you're going to see increased management of care that we talked about earlier, the centers for Medicare and Medicaid services, which is CMS will allow the individuals to utilize any product, but they have to be paid for So that managed care that may be cut down, where are we at? How do we make sure that you are on the lowest cost treatment possible?
0: Well, let's talk about people on Medicare Advantage that are on a fixed income, a lower income that make maybe about twelve hundred dollars a month. That's their social security because we see it all the time that can't afford their copays and they can't afford their premiums. What does Medicare Advantage to do to help those people in our society that have worked all their lives? but end up on a pension that really isn't enough to sustain themselves?
1: It may sound funny, but many Medicare Advantage plans are offered at $0. The insurance companies don't charge anything from them because they're getting that reimbursement from Medicare. Those individuals that have a lower income can apply for extra help at Medicare. With that extra help, it'll actually lower the cost of all the premiums. So even if a premium was $45 or $50 a month, the Medicare extra help can cut that back down to $24 a month. They're up to almost $30 in subsidy per month for that individual with a lower income. The other thing that we look at is on the prescription drug side, that extra help lowers an individual's co-payments dramatically, where they could be paying $2 to $8 for a brand name medication. So that really helps them in subsidies that go along with their care in the form of lower drug co-pays and in the form of lower premiums.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, CJ, but do you think the Affordable Care Act is working? Do you think that it's working for the population for the most part that are not old enough to get onto Medicare?
1: The Affordable Care Act did many things. One thing it did do that we know, it expanded Medicaid throughout the state of Nevada. Other states did not expand, um, but Nevada expanded, so that helped a tremendous amount of people that were very low income or had households under that federal poverty guideline. And it helped them get access to care. So not only did did they have to be a pregnant woman or a woman with child, now it opened it up to those individuals, males that were also in that household. So it did expand care in the Affordable Care Act if the state chose to do so. The other thing it did, it opened up guarantee issue. So the Affordable Care Act, now you can get insurance. It doesn't matter what condition you have, where you're at, you can go out and find a product and an insurer cannot deny you that. It also did away with lifetime limits. If you're a hemophiliac, you know the costs of care are extraordinary. Million dollars a year, two million dollars a year. Now you can't be denied that coverage. You're able to get coverage. There's no limits on your care. And you can go through and make sure that you get the care you need to be happy and healthy for your entire life. So it's done some wonderful things. The thing that we've seen it do as well is raise the cost of insurance premiums. For those individuals that are deemed to make more money or over 400% of the poverty level, it's driven those costs up probably four to five fold over the time this has been enacted. If you don't qualify for a subsidy to bring those down, if you're not under 400% of the federal poverty level, then you've really taken a beating and it's costing you a lot more to buy a product for maybe only catastrophic care that you don't use. But you want it in place in case you do have that accident.
0: Well what we've seen on the on the ACA is that somebody, even at say, two hundred seventy-five or three hundred percent of the federal poverty level, because their subsidy of course decreases the more money that you make, that they have a hard time meeting their deductibles or their copays and the expense of it is really too high for someone in that range because they don't get enough subsidies, plus the fact that you're rated up for age. So if you take somebody at 50 or 55 years old on the ACA, who's at, say, 300% of the poverty level, that can be very difficult for them to be able to meet the requirements of that insurance product when it comes to using it.
1: And not only that, it's dependent on where they live. The cost of living, especially here where we're in, at, northern Nevada, is so high that they've got to pay for rent. They've got to pay for food. They have all these other costs to go to, and that immediately takes away from what they can pay towards their own health care. You're absolutely right on that, and those are the individuals that are hurt most by the higher increase in premiums and then the lower cost-sharing assistance. They're kind of a middle block that's left out, and it's very difficult for them to come up even with. $2,000, $3,000 if they need to make a deductible payment for an inpatient hospital stay.
0: So when the dust settles on this debate, the debate's not going to go away no matter what happens in the next presidential election because we have these huge gaps. Uh, do you think there would be an appetite to expand Medicare Advantage down to, say, 50 years old?
1: I think there could be, and that might be the middle ground where we get to. Instead of Medicare for All, with its original Medicare Raise taxes to pay for that Medicare, and then we create waiting lists uh, because there's fewer doctors. That Medicare Advantage could be a solution to that issue. You could lower the age for Medicare Advantage, have exchange insurance or ACA insurance go up to 40, 45, 50, and then have Medicare come down to 50 and supplement with either a supplement product or a Medicare Advantage product from 50 up to 65.
0: Well, let's talk about Medicaid for a minute. I know that's not totally in your wheelhouse, but Medicaid, uh, we get a lot of pushback on Medicaid from providers because the reimbursement rate is lower than Medicare. Is that what we find overall, that their Medicare Advantage pays more than Medicaid?
1: Absolutely. Medicare and Medicare Advantage both pay more than Medicaid. Medicaid is at about a 60% of Medicare allowable, so they pay 60 cents to every dollar that Medicare pays. So that's a 40 cent difference right there. If with Medicaid in the state of Nevada, with the expanded Medicaid population, the more individuals that we have on it means that doctors are being compensated less for every visit they do. When they're compensated less, they look at their panels, then they start limiting their panel. Well, I can only take 30 to 40% Medicaid patients because I have to take higher paying patients to offset the cost of running my business, keeping the lights on, x-ray machines, all of those types of things. So really looking at the Medicaid population and finding a way to increase a bit of cost sharing on their factor or putting a program in place that helps them um, subsidize what they're taking would help our entire medical economy in the area. And it would have more people come into being a doctor. We haven't really... Broached that subject yet. But if I told you that you're going to make $45,000 per year or $50,000 per year after you come out of medical school and college and you have three hundred to $400,000 worth of loans to pay off from going through that, would you really want to take that job?
0: Well, we know we have a physician shortage in the state of Nevada and um, a very large primary care physician shortage. So one of the things, that, of course, we see in Medicaid is that a shrinking provider network and uh, Medicaid clientele who, technically, this would be my opinion, they they shouldn't be handicapped because they're on Medicaid. I mean, it this is the product that we offer to them, and yet they are handicapped by waiting six, seven, eight months to get into an orthopedic doc, to get into uh, dermatology, and. That's the product that they have, and they need to accept it. I wonder whether it would be that Medicaid could be replaced by Medicare Advantage.
1: It very well could. When you hit 65, we have a population called dual eligibles. They're eligible for both Medicaid and Medicare. That population uses their Medicare or Medicare Advantage plan to pay for their care, and then as a secondary payer, Medicaid steps in and pays the co-payments that the Medicare Advantage plan doesn't pick up. That would actually be something that you could really look at and put together in a very comprehensive program because it would take most of the onerous off Medicaid. The providers would be reimbursed at a higher rate, and then the Medicaid system could come in and help those individuals with the co-pays that they couldn't afford.
0: Well, what we hear also from seniors is... Having Finding a physician, a primary care physician, that takes straight Medicare, Medicare that, that's very difficult.
1: That is difficult in our area. Um, when you're looking at the physicians that are out there, they look at Medicare. A lot of times with Medicare, you've got to do billing to get that, inf- that those monies back or that reimbursement from Medicare. Then you have to bill the individual 20% as well because most Medicare services require a 20% copayment after you've met your deductible. When you look at that, it's much easier to work with a plan, a Medicare Advantage plan that is there because then you're billing the individual a very small amount of money. The plan is there to pay and pay quickly. Plans want to keep their claims payment rates down. So they're paying within 30 to 40 days instead of waiting on reimbursements from the federal government to come in on the Medicare side. So that's kind of why that shrinking because dealing with Medicare is a little bit more difficult than dealing with those private plans that are out there.
0: Well, let's talk about open enrollment a little bit because it's coming up. Why wouldn't somebody take a Medicare Advantage product?
1: The biggest thing that we see is education. They don't understand what a Medicare Advantage product is, or they believe that they're going to lose their Medicare benefit if they go with a Medicare Advantage that's from a private company. We know that's not true. Individuals can switch into Medicare Advantage, out of Medicare Advantage, when they choose to do so through your open enrollment periods and you can go back to original medicare the only differential that you have there is with a medicare supplement plan something completely different from medicare advantage but you have a guarantee issue period when you're 65 years of age if you don't take it within that first year then you can see medical underwriting so it kind of scares people into well do i just take this and go with this plan Uh, If I go with a Medicare Advantage plan, I might lose that one guarantee issue period and they stay on that. The other is the myth that it's not portable. Medicare Advantage's are HMOs that have networks they work within. The most important thing for somebody to realize is if you're on a Medicare Advantage plan, you're going to get emergency care all throughout the United States. And with plans like Senior Care Plus, you're going to get it worldwide at the same copay as if you were right here in the service area. So people think that if I travel, I'm not covered, or I'll lose my Medicare benefits. It's the education, making sure people know what the facts are so that they can enroll and take a plan that may be the best choice for them.
0: Well, let's talk about the complexity of Medicare for the average person. What you just articulated so well uh, also can make somebody just go... I don't know what to do. Now, you know that access to health care operates the SHIP program, the state health insurance program. What we do uh, all day long, five days a week, is we talk to people about Medicare. And we answer their questions. And open enrollment, of course, is a bit of a crazy period for us. Um, And the complexity of Medicare or the seeming complexity for a senior. It overwhelms them. They, um, they look to us to help them sort it out. Of course, we don't ever refer anyone to a certain product. All we do is we show them the different products, we show them their options, we talk about uh, the details of each one so that they can make an informed decision. But it's tough. It's really tough with Medicare. Is there any way to simplify this? If we were to expand Medicare, it would seem to me either a program like our SHIP program would have to expand greatly to take all the questions, or we would need to simplify Medicare.
1: It's really the education point that goes along with it. There's all these acronyms. We've talked about CMS. We've talked about Part D, Part A. deductibles, co-payments, what do I do? And it's completely different than private insurance. So the SHIP organization in Nevada is an invaluable resource to individuals. Um, I highly suggest that anyone getting ready to turn 65, or if you've been disabled for in your waiting period in those two years and you're going to become Medicare eligible, you've got to go to an education seminar. SHIP puts on education seminars. They also do private one-on-one consultations. The thing is, you re- you can't talk to your neighbor. Your neighbor doesn't know all the issues. This is really close to me because my mother, I shouldn't say this, but she turned 65 a little while ago. She came on Medicare. I'm a professional in the industry, and she was talking to her friends. Finally, I had to set her down and say, Mom, do you know what I do for a living? I actually know what I'm talking about, <laughs> and I can help you with this. But that's how close it comes to home. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs this education. And there's nothing that you can do that's more important than go and either talk to a person at the SHIP office or talk, go to an educational meeting, something completely different than a sales meeting. You're not going to be sold anything. You're just going to be taught about Medicare. So I implore everyone that's getting ready to have Medicare eligibility to go to an education meeting.
0: But how could we simplify it, CJ? How could we make it? You know, I went on Medicare a few years ago. And uh, thank goodness that I run an organization that has a department that all they do is talk about Medicare. So, of course, I went over there and said, help.
1: The simplification, it's, it's very difficult to do. This has been codified into law since 1965. We have reimbursement principles. We have eligibility principles. We have things that are paid. We didn't get Part D until the early 2000s. So these things have come on board time over time. It's The biggest thing is educating a person on what they have to do with employer care, with individual care, and then what their transition to Medicare will be. You're never going to simplify the federal laws that go along with this and the regulations. So we really need to go on the education side. Simplification is going to be very difficult.
0: Got it. Let's talk about pharmacy drugs because that's a huge one for seniors. And... Some of the candidates are saying that if we go for Medicare for all or single-payer system, that our drug costs would go way down. Um, How do you feel about that statement?
1: I think it's uh, completely true. I think it's 100% accurate. And we will um, see a vast reduction in the price of drugs because we would mandate what the drug companies can make. And if when you put a government mandate or a price mandate on those types of things, you stim the innovation that happens. We are the only country in the world that pays an exorbitant amount for prescription medications. you, You would be amazed at what your insurance company picks up in pricing and what's then the lower prices passed on to the individual. But by doing that, we really take care of the entire world's drug development here in the United States. If you look at countries like France, Germany, um, in the UK, they have a system where they tell the drug manufacturers what they can market and sell their drug for in their country. We do the exact same thing here in the United States with the Veterans Administration or the VA. The VA tells the drug makers what they're going to pay for that drug and they give it to all those that qualify at the VA and the VA has much lower drug costs. But we need to really look at what we're going to do look at the implications if we do put fixed pricing in place to innovation and accessibility of drugs for the rest of the world if we move in that direction.
0: Well, we know that people believe that Americans want their cake and eat it too. Absolutely. That we want the best. Uh, Certainly if we have a family member that's ill, we want them to have the best. We also aren't afraid to stand up and say it and to argue And even sometimes march for it. So that seems to be a dilemma and certainly would be in a single-payer system for us.
1: It would be because to get that single-payer and get that access for everyone, you're going to give up access to care in a timely fashion. And you're going to give up some of those quality or innovative things that come about because the funds aren't there to invigorate people to design new methods. So if we go to a straight Medicare for all single payer system, we're going to be like some of the other countries in the world where if you really want the best for your family, then the best thing might be to put them on an airplane and get them to a place that they can get that care or another country. We have many people that come into the United States from countries with socialized medicine or single payer systems that come in here to get a procedure done because they can't get it done quickly in the country where they're at or the, health system doesn't cover that procedure. So they have to go to a different place to get that done. And I would hate to see the United States fall into a system where we have to ship our own family members out of the country to get care done.
0: Do you think Medicare for all, or let's go back to say Medicare Advantage, do you believe Medicare Advantage levels the playing field between people of high income and low income?
1: Medicare Advantage does level the playing field. When you look at individuals because it's a set price. It doesn't matter how much you make, you're going to pay either $20 a month, $40 a month, whatever that plan can tolerate. And the plan, Medicare makes sure that those plans have to at minimum break even every year. If they don't break even, you're going to see the prices of those plans go up to compensate for not breaking even. Medicare protects the beneficiaries that enroll in a Medicare Advantage plan to make sure that the plan's financially stable so that a person's not left without care or having to transition all their care to another provider network in the middle of a year. So Medicare's got checks and balances in place on private companies that are running that because as soon as we start talking about, well, it's another private insurance company, it's a, what are we doing? Or they're just raising the rates. Really? We have to look at the whole system and address the costs of care all the way. And when we really look at it, if we look into the innovation in the future of what's happening, we're going to come out with some amazing technologies. We're, we're coming up. If you go from 1980 to now, the HIV virus was a death sentence all through the 1980s and in the early nineties. Now individuals that receive that we have antiretrovirals, we have all kinds of amazing things that can help a person live a very normal life throughout a number of years, almost cure rates The same thing with hep C. So all that innovation and all these things that come out. We're gonna have more, we're gonna have cures for diseases that we never thought possible before, but all those are gonna come at a cost. So we're gonna see as we go into the future, the cost of healthcare continue to increase. Um, We're not in a place where we're gonna come up with a magic bullet just to stop the increase in the cost of healthcare. But if we want all of the access to those um, cures, those new drugs, then we have to have a hybrid system that can help sustain that and pay for that.
0: And have we seen an increase in the numbers of people in Medicare and Medicare Advantage because of the baby boomers? And that's what we have in store for the next decade?
1: That is. That is what we have in store for the next decade. And then we've all seen it on the news everywhere that America has stopped having babies. I mean, it may not be so that access to health care you always talk about, but the rest of the country, we're actually shrinking in population. The younger generation are not having children. And there's no one to replace that working field that is paying for and fueling the Medicare Trust Fund.
0: True. Same with Social Security. Yes. Which is another podcast. Let's talk about uh, Medicare fraud because Access to Healthcare do, does lectures and presentations about Medicare fraud. I don't know a great deal about it, but it seems to me a lot of it is around durable medical.
1: It is. When we look at it, the number one issue, and it costs the federal government billions and billions of dollars per year in paying for things that individuals either don't need or they never ordered in the first place. To look at the Medicare fraud situation, it really centers around your population basis and where seniors live. The two highest Medicare fraud areas in the United States are Florida and the Texas panhandle or not, excuse me, not panhandle, but South Texas in the Houston area. Those areas are where people can come in. And just like your identity on the black web, individuals are out there buying books of Medicare beneficiary numbers. Medicare just changed away from your social security number to a new number that was in an effort to help curb the fraud that's going on. But if a person could get a hold of your, your social security number, They could submit a claim to Medicare for you, for a wheelchair, for $800, $1,000, $3,000, receive the Medicare allowable on that, and they don't even send you the chair. They're doing this all behind the scenes from little shops that are set up. They get a contract because they put the right things in place, and they can bill literally hundreds of thousands of dollars per year until they get audited and shut down. One of the strangest things that had happened, an individual came into a college town, offered an internship program to college students. From the business college, he had five students come out. He opened up five little storefronts. They had crutches in the front, a wheelchair, and different things. And he said, a person from Medicare is going to come by, inspect the location, and I need you to sign off on the inspection. They're going to give you the inspection records, sign off on that. And then you're just going to man the store. I'm going to pay you X amount of money per day. They said, great, this is a paid internship. I can't believe it. I'll be running a little business. Medicare came by, did the inspection. Okay. Can you sign here print your name? And they sent it off. This individual had Medicare numbers from people all over the United States and started billing through these little operations that were set up, Build. Over $4 million. The federal government came in, CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, audited, shut down, and arrested the college students because a college student signed that they were the business owners. They didn't understand what they were signing. They were arrested for Medicare fraud. So it's a very sophisticated scheme all throughout the United States, and durable medical equipment is just the easiest portion to get into. Mm -hmm. But there's many other ways.
0: So what's your suggestion to seniors uh, on the durable medical uh, to prevent themselves being a victim of that kind of fraud?
1: Well, the nice thing is you have a little bit of personal responsibility. Um, Secure your information. Make sure that your Medicare number, your social security number, you keep those to yourself. If somebody calls up on the phone and says, well, do you have back pain? Would you like a free back brace? That back brace could be free to you, but how much are they charging Medicare for that back brace? If you really don't have back pain, then ah, I know it might be free, but maybe you don't need that. It's taking that responsibility upon yourself to help identify those, knowing those telephone numbers and taking care of yourself. The other is don't fall into it. A lot of times you see up on telephone poles or on little signs in the ground, we buy diabetic test strips. Have you seen those with the phone number? Yes. Uh You can't limit the amount of diabetic test strips a Medicare beneficiary gets. They can get them from either their Medicare Advantage plan, from the straight Medicare, at a small copayment to them. These companies will call and buy those and resell those. other individuals at a profit so they'll offer a very low amount resell them out on the open market one you don't know the cleanliness it hasn't been in the chain of custody but two that's another form of fraud where individuals are coming in repackaging something that the federal government's already paid for and selling it at a profit so there's all kinds of little tips and tricks to look out for but really just take that personal touch secure your information and don't go or don't fall for the freebies that
0: are out there. Good advice. Let's talk about open enrollment. It starts on October fifteenth. It's a busy time of the year for you. Busy time of the year for uh, Senior Care Plus. What what would be some of the remarks, closing remarks that you'd like people to know about open enrollment? that would help them, help them to make a good decision for themselves?
1: Well, the thing to realize is there's always a new offering out there. The most important thing to take away from open enrollment is if you're enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan, you're going to get an annual notice of change. That's going to come in your mailbox by October 1st every year. Open that thing up and take a look at it. See what's changing with your plan because it could be a change that you like, it could be getting better, it could be a change that you don't like, it could be getting worse, but you need to educate yourself on that. I know everybody gets all this stuff in the uh, mailbox from their providers and their insurance plan, but open up that annual notice of change, look at it, study it, and that'll give you an idea of what you wanna do for the next period. If you find that your doctors are no longer there or your network may be getting smaller, go out and take a look at the other options. You can go to any meeting and Medicare has strict rules that a person can't force you to buy a plan. You can get up and walk out at any time. Nobody's going to sit down there and give you a hard sale. That's not what Medicare sales are about. And there's actually rules against doing that. You can't be pressured. You can't be made to sign up for a plan, but go out there and educate yourself to what all the choices are in your area and look at those things. Those are the two biggest things that you can do on a yearly basis to make sure that you're going to be able to get the best plan for you for that following year.
0: And what about as the debate continues on Medicare for All, what would be a couple of things that you would recommend that we look for as that debate escalates?
1: I'm a big proponent of education. Go out there and look at two or three different sources of the information. They're available. They're in different areas. But look at the different viewpoints. It's a big service that you've done, Sherry, by putting two opposing podcasts up or two differing views. And I invite everyone to do that as well. When, and also look for normalization. As we get closer to the election cycle, you're going to see the rhetoric tone down a little bit and they're going to kind of normalize into a single message. And that will give you an idea of what's to come. But really look at your different news sources, see what's out there and make up the decision on your own. Don't wait for somebody else.
0: So where could someone get a hold of you or someone at Senior Care Plus to talk about your product or even just to talk with you about what they've heard on the podcast?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, You can reach Senior Care Plus. You can reach myself at 775-982-3218. That's actually a direct line in. My members have it. They're able to call and talk to us. But to come in and just talk about Medicare. We offer multiple ABC's of Medicare presentations. That's not a sales presentation, it's only educational. We're not even going to talk to you about Senior Care Plus because Medicare doesn't allow us to do that. Out of educational, we're going to talk to you about the A's, the B's, the C's and the D's of Medicare and let you know what you need to do if you're working, if you're getting ready to enroll on Medicare and what your time frames are purely educational, you can go to seniorcareplus.com for a list of those seminar dates and take a look at that. But they can also reach me through Access to Healthcare.
0: Thank you, CJ. We've been talking to CJ Bowden, Director of Government Affairs for Hometown Health Plan and Senior Care Plus. We've been talking about the debate of Medicare for All and also about Medicare Advantage plans. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For a list of future podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcasts.